Well, the first thing, you know, if, if a guy's going out west and he's going to be doing backpack hunts, or even if he's car camping, do that at home. You know, get a, get a tent, even if it's in your backyard, and then just pretend like you can't do, you can't run into the house for something. Like you have to use the gear that you've brought with, or right. you know, take a family camping trip to somewhere and and just get used to it. Eat dehydrated food, freeze dried foods, see what it does to your body. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. I've got my sidekick, Evan, with me. And Evan, we've been lazy here lately, dude. We deserve a swift kick in the you-know-whats. Yep, um, yep. We need, to, we need to get more of these pumping out for everybody. We need to get back on track, man. Life has been busy. As everybody probably knows, I own a decoy company, and Evan uh, runs a bunch of stuff over there in the Hoyt Marketing Department. We just get... Uh, life gets away from you and this time of year we're all full of honeydews and you know uh mama has me doing just as much stuff as work does you know and it's just just gets a little bit crazy but anyway i'm excited about today and that is because uh uh we've got a guest on here that i've admired uh we've been we've been social media buddies for quite some time now um and it's it's Tony. I always call you Tony Trike. It, it, am I saying that right? Uh, it's Treach. Tree. Okay. Well, I know you because I've read it that way to myself for so long. But Tony Treach and uh, Tony is from Michigan. And let me tell you, like, Tony goes out west a lot. And he is an accomplished bow hunter. And, it, it, you know, if you were sitting here watching the video that I am, Tony's got four bull elk up there on his wall behind him and a couple of mule deer and a couple of whitetail that uh, would just make anybody drool. If you uh, if you visit his, his Instagram page, his Instagram handle is Tony underscore T-R-I-E-T-C-H. And uh, man, he's... He's always got cool stuff on there. Uh, the guy knows his. We're going to be talking about hunting out of state and some of the some of the pitfalls and how to get ready for that stuff. And Tony is a perfect person to talk to. So anyway, welcome to the program, Tony. Thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. I'm a, I'm a fan of the show. Well, we we appreciate that. You don't have to lie to us and (laughs) you're not not being paid. But, you know, we do appreciate the um, the the good gesture. Uh, So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, man, Um, where you live, what you do, how long you've been bow hunting, how you got into this craziness? Mm, Yeah, uh, live in northern Michigan, started bow hunting uh, in Michigan. We're allowed to at 12 years old, but I was shooting. As soon as I could pull bow backs, probably eight years old or so. And uh, so it's been a passion of mine. In uh, my mid-20s, I started a company, a small construction company, which is still going strong today. It's allowed me to kind of, well, I, I built it basically so that I don't have to be there all the time. I've got great guys working for me. And we work with other companies. So we basically just supply labor. So when I'm gone, that's they just plug and play my guys and it allows me to, to travel quite a bit in the fall. And that started, you know, right away in my twenties, I used to travel around the Midwest, uh, sleep in farmer's barns in Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, uh, and eventually Kansas and did that for probably a de- close to a decade. And I started seeing these mule deer in Kansas and we were killing 
giant whitetail, but I kept seeing these me <laughs> as Evan <laughs> puts his finger to his lip. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Evan. It's getting harder and harder to draw down there. Uh, I actually didn't draw last year, but that's a whole other story. But I started seeing mule deer. I'd never hunted them, and I just got the bug. So that next year, um, I started applying all over the West. Um, I think that very next year, I went uh, killed a you know velvet muley up in, in Colorado in the high country. Followed it up with a, a bull elk uh, a couple of days later, and then you know went to Montana, killed another bull elk, and then I mean it was just like a whirlwind. And actually, that was two separate trips I went on, uh, which is, you know, that nowadays, my, my system, what I do, I leave home for several months at a time. I don't I don't run back and forth. There's not a bunch of separate trips. I'll leave home sometime in late July, usually, uh, depending on when the first tag is. And I try to fill it up with usually easier draw tags where I can just move from state to state, for hunt to hunt, and uh, usually come home sometime in the end of October. And then... Uh, process a bunch of meat that I have and, you know, frozen blocks and in these freezers that I take out with me and then get ready for the plains hunts, which I leave for the month of November again. So hmm. in a nutshell, that's, that's my whole life. I mean, I, I, I make things out of wood. I do whatever my wife says when I'm not hunting, so that she allows me to go hunting for so long. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I, and then I live on the road. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have one question for you. Is it, it, do you have something on the job application for, uh, your contracting company where it says, are you a hunter? And, and do you automatically not hire hunters because they, <laughs> they, they can't be, they got to be there during hunting season. It's so bad right now. I, I literally a heartbeat is about all I require to tort for me right now. It, we're, that's, we have a giant labor shortage here. Yeah. So, uh, as we do everywhere, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, so you, uh, what, what year do you think that was when you first started kind of traveling out of state? I think it was 2013. Uh, okay. when, well, out West, uh, right, right. To the, uh, you know, to the Midwest. That was, it was, uh, probably 10, 12 years before that. Well, like I can tell by what you were talking about, um, you know, sleeping in the back of pickups and sleeping in, you know, barns and things like that. You're, as soon as you start talking about that stuff, uh, I, I really respect that because I see it as somebody that, man, they put in their dues. They earned their mm-hmm. way. Um, you know, my first out-of-state hunts that I ever went on, we were sleeping. I, man, I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford tree stands. We're usually chasing whitetails when we went out of state. I was standing in the, in the crooks of trees, you know, and like doing really dangerous things. And of course, at the time I was bulletproof and, and didn't think about it. Now I won't go up a tree without a lifeline in the dang thing. Cause I'm yep. scared to death and old, but, um, you know, we were sleeping in November in our truck and, mm. you know, snowstorms and, yeah. and, you know, like the thought of doing it today, exactly how I did it back then. I'll do it if I have to but I don't want to, but you know, I feel like I, I put in my time. I, you know, I paid my dues back then, you know, and uh, it's, it's cool to hear that you did that. I know exactly what you're talking about. One of the things that I think that um, especially your more avid bow hunters who uh, are familiar with the Western draw system and have already traveled out of state, what we don't realize. And my, my, my data here could be just a little bit dated. And if anybody out there listens to this and says, okay, there's new studies out that, that uh, 
uh, has updated data, just shoot me a direct message on Instagram. And let me know. Cause I'd like to see it. But my data is from like the mid two thousands. And, um, it was, uh, it was studies put together by a, a company called Southwick and associates, really cool company does all kinds of really cool hunting and fishing related, uh, outdoor studies and puts a, puts a bunch of this data together, but only one out of 10 bow hunters at that time would ever travel out of their home state to bow hunt. So 90% of the bow hunters in this country hmm. never bought an out-of-state tag. They, hmm. they bow hunt in their own home state, and, and that's it. And I, I suspect that that number has increased a little bit, but I don't think it's increased much. And there's a lot of guys out there listening who have never traveled outside of their own home state. And there are some, there's some, there's a big learning curve. There's a big learning curve on the things that you've got to know, the the process, depending upon which states you're trying to go to, whether there's draws involved, whether there's not draws involved, um, little rule changes, like things that are different from state to state to state that are big deals, you know, like they're, and and you've got to do your research on these things. And then after you've done all this and you've got a couple of tags and you're going to go out of state, man, determining what all you're going to need and what <laughs> kind of preparation uh, you've got to put in. And I've gotten better at it over the years. You know, I've, it used to be if I was going to go on a Tony and I were just talking when we jumped on here that we're both getting ready for bear hunts. Tony is getting ready to go to Montana and I'm getting ready to go to Northern Saskatchewan. And for a trip like that, it used to, man, I used to have a spreadsheet that, you know, went over everything under the sun and had everything weighed out. And, uh, it, it might take me a week to pack for something like that. And I've kind of fine tuned it to the point where if I'm in a bind, I can, I can throw everything in the night before and pretty much have things covered, but talk about your experience getting started hunting out of state and (laughs) some of the things that you would warn these guys that are just getting ready to start this adventure and, and, and want to do things that Tony's doing. Um, Talk about some of the challenges and, and some of the things that you've learned over the years. Well, you nailed it uh, with uh, with the differences from state to state. There's uh, just being legal and make sure you, you know, even something as simple as just tagging an animal. You know, some some states you don't want it. They don't want it on the antlers. They want it on the largest portion of meat. Some states have to be on the antlers. Some states, like in Wyoming, you can just put it in your pocket until you get to the truck and then put it, throw it in a cooler. I mean, there's every state is everything's different. Uh, drawing tags, everything's different. You know, there's, and there's application services out there that can help you, but I kind of, I enjoy that stuff. So it's, I've learned all the States, uh, West and, um, and yeah, they're changing rules every year. Um, there it's that, that, that part of it is always ongoing learning. Like you'll never stop. Um, but, but as far as gear, as far as the things I take, uh, man, uh, it's actually gotten more complex for me because the types of hunts that I'm going on uh, are changing. You know, I, I used to, when I started doing this, I would just do a couple of high country hunts, some, you know, for deer and then, and, and typically elk. Well, now I'm starting to hunt elk in different places. Now I'm starting to hunt deer in different places. Uh, you know, the deer that, the, the gear that I'm going to take to Kansas or Eastern Montana to deer hunt is completely different than the, you know, a lot of it than, than the gear I'd use in high country, Colorado in August. And, uh, so I find myself now 
taking a lot of stuff. And, you know, if I don't use something for a couple of years, it comes out of the, out of the kit. But uh, I basically do the same thing you were saying, you know, a couple of weeks before I'm planning on leaving, my garage space where my truck usually sits becomes full of all these different uh, boxes and coolers and all my gear and, and this goes, that goes. And I find out you know, what I'm, you know, what I'm missing from last year, what, what broke needs to be replaced, but it's, it's extensive. Just, I'm only going for two weeks now uh, for a bear hunt and, and speaking at a hunting conference. And, and I've got, I mean, my truck's going to be half full just for two weeks. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's, and it's the, what helped me. And I think it's the resources still out there, uh, is rock slide you know it there are guys on there and there are not just test not only testing gear, but there are guys that are willing to help you and i mean i i just dove head first into that and i, I mean you can find out what you need in your pack what you don't need in your pack guys will tell you the mistakes they made on there um it's it's a fantastic resource uh you can also find a lot of the gear in the classifieds too at really discounted prices it's just a it's a great resource and i'm sure there are other websites out there now like that but it helped me a lot. And, uh, without that, I mean, I, I'm sure I would have spent a lot of money in the wrong spots in a, and, and, you know, probably could have ruined some hunts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and y- you know, it sounds like you're driving to most of your hunts. Um, oh, yep. and that makes, the, that makes things a lot easier. And I, you know, I've told people for a long time, there's an, like the Saskatchewan bear hunt that I'm going on can't drive to that one man that's like you know five day drive um and we're flying to saskatoon and then in saskatoon we're going to switch over to a float plane and we're driving or we're flying into a lake all the way up on the edge of the northwest territories and on that flight i'm limited to 75 pounds and when you when i i kind of have a cutoff to where I'm like, if it's 14, 15 hours or less, I'm going to drive regardless of what kind of hunt it is because you can bring all the extras. If you're a little confused on, man, am I really going to need this or not? You can screw it. Just throw it in the truck. You know what I mean? It might stay in your truck the entire time. If you're going to be be, uh, bivvying out once you get there or hunting out of a spike camp, I like to just, rather than taking my... I put everything in totes and I've mm-hmm. got the, you know, water filtration mm-hmm. tote and the sleeping bag tote and the, this and the, you know, I'll just bring all the totes yeah. and then throw the gear in there that I want, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then head up and, and do my spike camp. Um, and that's, that's really cool if you're driving, but if you ever are in that situation where you're flying, goodness gracious, things get really hard to decipher what you're going to bring and what you're not going to bring and what's important and what's not. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've I've, I've flown, I've hunted Canada a few times, uh, not not since uh, 2009, but it, it was uh, definitely a different situation. You know, oh, packing yeah. my clothes around my bow and yeah. Uh, no, no, it's. Uh, I mean, I have four different sleeping bags. I have you know, I have a quilt, then I have a, a, a twenty, I have a ten, and I have a, a, yeah, I have, I have so much gear that uh, just keeping it organized. You know, and everything has its own place in the truck. Um, I think it was probably, I think it was 2016 was the last time I didn't take a trailer with a small ATV. And that, that year I came home and both uh, running boards on my truck were smashed into the bottom of the truck. The front <laughs> and the bumper were completely like the rear bumper was like 
half of it was gone. I left it in Arizona <laughs> in a trash can. Uh, there was a crease starting at the passenger side front wheel that went all the way down the body. I basically was bouldering with a, a three quarter ton truck. I got into a trail. I couldn't get, go backwards. And yeah. And and now, so I take the, I went out and bought the smallest four wheel drive, four wheeler I could find. And uh, I mean, I would just for accessing trail hips, you know, I'll set yeah. up, drop the truck and trailer at a, you know, down the road where it's, there's plenty of room to turn around. And I just use that to access trailheads. Uh, and yeah. it saved me so much money in damage. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, I've, I've recently gone, I, I bought a used toy hauler, um, so that I could do the exact same thing. It's a, but it's a small one. It's not a, it's not a big monstrosity. I can throw an ATV in there. And then I've also got a you know place to sleep just for doing the exact same thing that you're talking about doing. And I've torn, like, I get guys all the time that ask me, why do you take your running boards off your truck? Those look pretty sweet because that's what happens to them. Yeah. Right. You know, and I know exactly what you mean going down that something you're not familiar with. And all of a sudden, oh, crap, this yeah. is gnarly and you can't turn around and go backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's bad deal, dude. Yep. <laughs> bad deal. Thanks for good stories. Yes, it does. Last time I was in Arizona, matter of fact, um, I'm driving out of unit one, just about to cross back in. Uh, uh, I had a buddy that drew that tag and he was elk hunting in there and I went in to see him and I'm about to cross back into New Mexico, headed back toward Colorado. And I'm pulling out of his camp at, at night and pulling a, a trailer with a side-by-side on it and had a herd of elk come screaming across the road in front of me. And I was like, I got the truck stopped and thinking I'm cool. And a cow elk ran full speed into the side of my truck. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it did as much damage as a car, man. And, you know, she, she hit it and where she flipped around her butt hit it. She hit right on the back passenger side door and her butt came around and hit the driver's, the, 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 the front passenger side door and just destroyed <laughs> the entire side of my truck. It's adventures, <laughs> fun, fun stuff. So, um, uh, on this Montana bear hunt, when do you leave for that one? Probably uh, in the morning. I've actually been waiting on, uh, some product. I actually, so after, after a couple of years of hunting out West, uh, I was actually asked to start writing for rock slide by uh, Ryan Avery, the owner. And uh, I do gear reviews every year and I've been waiting. I tried to put together a uh, kind of a three different company product or project uh, review. And I'm waiting on the final piece. Uh, they sent me the wrong one twice now. So uh, I'm waiting on the UPS man. And then as soon as I get it, I can go. Stuff, I already uh, made it. Testing stuff out while you're uh, on this bear hunt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right nice. on. That is, uh, that's cool. So, uh, how, uh, are, are, are you an avid bear hunter? Are you angry at bears? No, no. Uh, I've killed, I've only killed the three or four bear in my whole life. Um, yeah. but I, you know, it's, it's more for me, it's more getting out there and I just want to get up in the mountains and start hiking around. And, uh, I just, you know, I, the mountains are probably, the bigger draw to me than actually the animals. I mean, I, I grew up a ski racer, so I love to be in the mountains my whole life. I mean, it's just, it's, I feel at home and, uh, I've got, a, I've got a couple extra pounds from this winter. I need to, to work off this spring and, uh, test some gear and try some new things. And if I can find a big old board while I'm doing it, then, then great. If not, it's not the end of the world. So. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I've only killed a handful too. And um, most of those have been killed on deals where I'm hunting another species and was able to pick up a bear tag at the same time. And if I come across the bear, want to be able to, to take him. Um, and this is actually going to be my very first, I, I've, I've been on a couple of bear specific hunts, uh, spot and stock hunts, but I've never been on a baited bear hunt <laughs> and yeah, I've never done it. And this is going to be the, the first time. And, you know, I've read about it enough to know that, um, and had enough buddies that did it to know that, if they're hitting and hitting good and you've got action, like it might not sound like something that would be that exciting to sit over a bait pile and watch bears come in. But I've watched some videos that my buddies have taken over the years where it's just like, wow, dude, you are sitting there and watching this stuff happen between these boars and sows and, and cubs and you for hours on end. Mm -hmm. And it, I'm hoping for a trip like that, you know? Yeah. Like something where I really get to experience those bears down in front of me doing a bunch of stuff. And, and hopefully that big one doesn't come in right away and, you know, <laughs> you know, and on top of that, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I've, I've known for a long time that bears are notoriously difficult to judge. Mm -hmm. And when you're going up there with somebody who has been busting their ass to get back in there and, and, and work these baits for you and all this stuff. And you come in there, a greenhorn to bear hunting and you end up killing some dink. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the pressure's on for you, yeah. to, you know, and I know a lot of guys who have done that, you know, yep. who they're like, Oh, that's a good one. And they go walking up and it's some, you know, 150 pound sow or something like that. Yeah. They, they have a tendency to, to deflate uh, once they're dead. But yeah, at least they're easy to pack out that way. <laughs> yeah, that's exa that's exactly right. So what do you what do you have on tap this year? Um, what's your normal? You were talking about making state swings. Yeah. Um, so where do you usually start out, and and what do you do? You, uh, have you drawn anything cool already this year? Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is going to be a crazy year. Um, so I usually I I have my little spot in Colorado that you know it's the same area that I, uh, that I started, started hunting over the counter, you know, when I, my very first elk and I still try to get out there every year. Um, I killed a 350 bull in it last year. Um, oh. it, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a unit that it, the hard, it, you're rewarded by hard work. Yeah. And, um, I like that, but I, I'm actually probably going to not pick that tag up this year because, uh, I'm, I'm just about booked up. Um, just, just to clear, I want to clarify something about what you just said. Okay. Because there's a lot of guys that have no idea what, when you just said you killed a 350 bull and you're over the counter spot in Colorado, there's a lot of guys out there who don't realize what you did. Mm -hmm. Um, like, uh, just put it like this. I'm a Colorado resident. I have been hunting elk in Colorado since I was 13, 14 years old. Um, and have killed a lot of elk in Colorado. My goal is to kill one 350. My dad's done it. My dad took one one year, but I haven't cut. The closest I've come is about uh, 335. And um, and that's a huge bull for Colorado. A 350 bull in an over-the-counter unit in Colorado is like killing a 400-inch a, a, a bull, 420 in Arizona. 
And I, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, accomplishment, man. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I, I didn't want to just skip over that <laughs> and for people to miss the what he actually accomplished there. That's huge. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I hunted him for two years. I actually had uh, a lot of video of him and spent a lot of time hunting him in uh, 2022, but couldn't pull it off. Uh, so I uh, I drew a New Mexico uh, antelope tag, one of the uh, uh, most coveted antelope tags in the country, actually, uh, archery. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be my first hunt this year. That's starting in uh, August. And then from there, uh, I'm actually going – I experienced something last year that, that I, I, I got the opportunity to hunt elk in, in Nevada and I killed my best bull and it was, you know, I spent 32 days in the desert. It was amazing. How many so years much did so you that you, how many years do you put in for that? Uh, I'm still putting in for it, but, uh, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't uh, drawn. So I was able to pick up the tag, uh, there's you know you can get tags but through vouchers you can draw tags and now you can also get them through that first come first serve process uh the nevada has and uh but this year uh i I bought a voucher i'm going to go back i it was it it was expensive but it was the most amazing hunt i ever ever been on and i'm gonna do it again and we're gonna film it this year um it's it's yeah i'm really looking forward to it so that'll take up the rest of probably the rest of August and part of part of September. And then I also drew a, uh, a Montana archery permit that uh, I've hunted it. I think uh, three of the last seven years. Um, it's not super hard to draw, but it's, I've, I've chased bulls up near that magical number. Uh, you mentioned a little while ago. I mean, they're, they're giants in there. And I, so I've got that in my pocket already. And then I go back to, New Mexico because I drew the archery Ibex tag again. I drew that 19 nice. and uh, scratched one on his chest. I uh, you drew that you drew the Ibex tag within three years of each other. Yeah, yep. So wow, someone's got a golden horseshoe right now. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding, dude. <laughs> that that. Uh, that Florida hunt is yeah, no so those, joke. For those of you that yeah. don't know what he's talking about there, this uh, is, uh, some say the most physically demanding hunt that there is in the, uh, oh. in the Northern for, or well, in the, the, the lower North 48, America. Yeah. lower 48 and, and maybe, maybe in all of North America. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's straight up and down. It's you're, you're, you're hunting clips. Everything, everything there wants to kill you. Yeah. Uh, it's covered with rattlesnakes. Uh, there's, I literally just, I, I had a brand new pair of, uh, really high-end Italian mountaineering boots completely destroyed them just in 10 days of just wow. trying to climb up through these, these cliffs and these rocks, you're wedging your feet and your hands in spots to try to get up these, these shoots uh, to, to intercept these Ibex. And it's, you know, there's, you know, the tarantulas aren't going to kill you, but they're all over the place too. If you don't like spiders, you, you'd hate it. Yeah. Um, you're, you're a couple miles from the New Mexico, the Mexico border that, I mean, helicopters are flying over us every night, our camp, you know, and so border patrol agents are, are real oh yeah yeah they're all over the place um doing a, yeah they're doing a good job uh, but the uh the, there's not much water on there there's it's just you know we saw a mountain lion take down a, a an ibex there while i was making a stock he, he beat me really? to him no yeah, kidding. Yeah, biggest mountain lion i've ever seen it was just, i mean and there was guys that 
in camp that spent their whole lives there, and they they said, "I mean, this is this." forearms looked like my thighs he was gigantic um, and uh and i and i and like i said i got i got i got the shot at the biggest billy uh that i found and i missed i caught some vegetation it was about four or five feet in front of me and it was just enough to to slowly arrow down and just skip underneath his chest and so oh. this is a redemption hunt and hopefully i'll uh you know get get, get taken care of this time but, was it an was it an extreme angle shot no no, no, it was, it was downhill, but it was probably the only 15, 20% grade. Um, it was 50 yards. Uh, they were working their way around, uh, this, this sheer wall, which of course they can go up it if they want to, but they were, it was midday. They were just feeding those things. Don't know where they're going. There's no such thing as like getting, you know, just sitting at sitting on a runway and then hoping they're going to come, come by. They get up in the morning and they just start wandering and they don't know that there's no patterns to them. One of them sneeze and they run for three miles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're kind of scatterbrained, but yeah. they were working around this, this shoot. And I w- went between these two basically down a damn near vertical and portions uh, cavern and got and cut them off, so to speak. And uh, the whole group had fed past me um, all but one little nanny. She, she picked me off. I was just kind of up against the wall. I was kind of buried in some vegetation everything's completely covered. Like I, there was not like the only exposed skin was around my eyes and you know, like that core light uh, hoodie from uh, Sitka, like over my face, everything, even my face was covered, but she saw something she didn't like. And she just stood there as, you know, like 50 of them walk by and she's just staring at me and she'd get a little closer and she'd, she'd cock her head like a puppy that's trying to figure out what it sounds coming from. She'd get closer and she'd get closer. And finally the big one came out and I, I did the slow draw to try to, you know, and she, she did her little bark that they do and I was able to get a shot off, but uh, yeah, it was just didn't happen. That's a heartbreaker because that is a, it, a once again, I, I don't know what the percentage rate is with a bow there, but it's not high. What I think what it's one, 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 percent, one or two, one or 2%. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, when we say it's a tough hunt, it is a tough hunt. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And it, it, man, I wish you the best of luck on that yeah. one. Yeah. Thank you. Make sure, make sure your third axis is set. Oh yeah, no, they're dialed. Yeah, they're definitely dialed. Um, so then, so then after that, uh, I, I usually hunt Wyoming in a uh, in a unit that I can draw second choice. So I'll probably have that as well. Uh, I'll go do that with my friend Derek, and then hopefully go home for a little while. Uh, hopefully have some elk and a few bucks to uh, to process and get in the freezer, and then I get ready and turn around and go back to the plains where I hunt. Uh, well. Prior to last year, I, I'd hunt Kansas every single year with my bow. Uh, I actually did not draw last year, but I was able to hunt uh, Eastern Colorado Plains and uh, and we, you know, a friend and I, and we filmed them, and we're gonna do the same thing this year. So, well, good. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll both draw. And do you do you still hunt the Midwest at all? No, no. The last time I hunted uh, Illinois was 2013. I killed, uh, I think, which was my biggest buck there, like mid 160s. Uh, buck and the last time I found a deer in my home state that I've run and I run cameras all year round just on my properties just to see what I find uh last time I found one I wanted to kill was 2011 I think it was. yeah yeah so, uh, little my, my time at home is spent making sure that everything's in line with the wife and she's happy and everything's good with the business and because if, if, if any of those if either of those things if you leave 
with something wrong, it's, you're not, you're not going to be able to enjoy the hunt. You're not going to be able to think about the things you need oh. to think about. You're, you're just, it's going to be a disaster. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Without and, doubt. Uh, I've, I've, I've been there. That's not a good feeling at all, especially when you're leaving for a little while. And, uh, man, I would imagine you put some miles on a truck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, you know, living in Michigan, you wouldn't, you don't think about how far away New Mexico and Montana are. But so in 2019, when I drew that IBEX tag, I also drew the same archery elk tag in Montana. So I went back and forth a couple of times. I think that's actually further or the same distance as it is for me to drive to Montana. So I think it's 25 hours. It's about 25 hours between those two. So yeah, I'll be New Mexico, Nevada, maybe Colorado, but then Montana and New Mexico and back to Montana or, or Wyoming and then home. So like, I'll probably put who knows how many, but it, but it, 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 the average is probably like 10 to 12,000. Yeah. I, I think I probably had years where I only did seven or eight and I've had years where I, where I was over 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're getting, you're getting after it. So <sighs> ask you a hard question. Yeah. Let's, let's say that, uh, some kid that lives there, you know, in Michigan is getting ready to go on his first out of state hunt and he's going to be traveling a couple states away. And he's like, what do I do, Tony? You know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, how do I figure this out? You know, what are, what's the process you're going to tell him to go through? Well, the first thing, you know, if, if a guy's going out West and he's going to be doing backpack hunts, or even if he's car camping, uh, do that at home you know, get, get a tent, even if it's in your backyard and then just pretend like you can't do, you can't run into the house for something like you have to use the gear that you've brought with you or, right. you know, t- take a family camping trip to somewhere and, and just get used to it. Eat dehydrated food, freeze dried foods, see what it does to your body. Um, Make sure the first time that you're using that gear isn't up on the side yeah, of, a, right. of, of an actual mountain on the actual hunt. Yep. And if you're going to be backpack hunting, I'd suggest uh, doing some training with a, ba- a weighted pack. And, and I used to carry way too much weight. And when I train, you know, I, it wasn't nothing to throw 75 or even a hundred. Sometimes I don't do that anymore. I, I you know, I, I like 35 to 50 max. Um, I just, I feel like I can still get the workout and my body still gets the feeling of what it's going to be like when I get out there, but I don't do damage to my knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely recommend exercising with a weighted pack or just at least hiking. Yeah. Um, I, I, use use resources like rock slide um if you have friends that have been out west pick their brains about every little detail um but there are there are websites like rock slide where you can find out you know pretty much all the gear needs you're, you're gonna you're gonna have and you just need to curtail them the way you want to hunt so one thing i want to add to what you just said um sorry evan i didn't mean to cut you off nope, nope, you're, you're good to say something but um uh Especially when it, it maybe sometimes even when you're going to plain states, not necessarily in the Midwest, a lot of times in the Midwest or something like that, you're hunting smaller pieces of property. Um, but when you go to the plain states or out west, even if it's a hunt where you're not where you're thinking you're not going to be backpacking, you're not going to be staying in a spike camp or anything like that, bring a spike camp anyway. Mm-hmm. Um because you don't need there there are always situations where you go on a day hunt and you go end up going way the heck back in there and the place that you reach midday you get into everything 
and you find this spot, but it's too far away for you to day hunt it. And you might not have planned on doing a, a spike camp, but all of a sudden there is a need to do a spike camp. And if you don't have the gear there to do it, then you can't, you know, uh, at least have the gear that's necessary to go out and stay two nights out away from a camp so that you can get on animals that are out there far, you know, too far to day hunt. Yep. Um, Good advice. Yep. What were you going to say, Evan? Well, I wanted to go kind of into the gear and some of the things that, you know, what are those must haves? Um, You know, we had John Barklow on at one point talking about his layering system and how he kind of changed that based on time of the year, climate possibilities, where he was at. Do you have a set gear list or a clothing system? And how does that put together when you're talking, you know, if you're leaving and you're out from the first part of August until October, like you're talking anywhere from, you know, upper twenties in the evenings to hundred degree possibilities during the day. Like there's, there's a lot going on in that time frame. Yeah. How do you, how do you physically plan for one specifically your clothing system before we get into mm-hmm. other little gear parts? Sure. Uh, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Barclays and, and the Sitka's product. And I, that's pretty much all I use now. Um, the, totes you know like danny was talking about gear and totes i have many many totes of of sitka gear (laughs) and i have basically everything that they make um a huge fan of the the core lightweight hoodie Mm -hmm. that that thin hood to be able to to keep the sun off me is that item is probably on almost every single one of my hunts whether it's nevada and it's 100 degrees or i'm hunting wyoming and you know and it's 20 I'm going to have that as my base layer. Uh, I like to have a, uh, my next, my next one, even in Nevada, like in the mornings, I would have the core lightweight hoodie. Then I would have the heavyweight hoodie over top of that. So I have two layers of hoods. Um, and there, there are times when, you know, even in Nevada, when it's, if it's 90 degrees, I've got both of them on because there's a strong wind. So that's enough to keep me cool. But that sun, just, mm-hmm. just keeping the sun off your head and off your neck is it's more important than, uh, and stripping down to, to minimal amount of layers. Uh, as it, seasons get colder, um, I'm a big fan of their mountain vest and their mountain jacket. Uh, I think that's what they call it. It's just a really thin, windproof uh, layer, very lightweight. Uh, I really wish they made it with a hood, mm-hmm. but they don't. Uh, I love their scent shirt too. Uh, they're, they're, they make that for the super hot uh, weather, but it doesn't have a hood. So for me, it's, it's a no-go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of puffies. Uh, you know, used to wear like a soft shell type jacket, you know, 15 years ago. And, and I, and I've got them. I love the jet stream. They just, uh, you know, redesigned it. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, but I, I find myself using different, ty- different, uh, different puffies, puffy jackets, insulating layers underneath a, a windproof layer, like a, a super lightweight rain jacket. So it covers more bases. I've got the lightweight rain jacket if I need it. Maybe it's just super windy one day and I just want to keep the, the wind off me. The rain jacket will double for that. And the puffies, I can, I can move them, uh, you know, when I, you know, off when I'm hiking, stop the glass, throw the puffy back on, then throw the windshell back over it. Kind of, uh, it covers more stones than say a, a soft, uh, soft shell jacket. They're, they're coming out with some new stuff right now. Some new insulating layers. I can't really talk too much about, but, um, 
I'll be definitely testing them out uh, this this spring. I've been wearing around here, and it's pretty promising. But uh, I, li- as far I as like bottom, that you. I said I like that you touched on that soft shell, um, and I was hoping you'd go there because I've been following your system and Barclos for a couple of years. And the last time I personally had a soft shell in my kit was 2011. Yeah, because I didn't feel the the weight of the material and the garment was yep. worth the the warmth that it got. So. Yep changing that out for rain gear and then being smarter about my puffy and then my, my second next to skin layer. Yep. So that's the problem with the soft shell. You know, it's not quite as warm as, warm as the puffy. So you're going to need the puffy anyways. Mm-hmm. And you know, like some of them are waterproof. Like uh, I, I believe the, uh, the one I just mentioned is, uh, I can't think of any of them now, but it, you know, it's, it's waterproof and windproof. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, and for the bottom, and for my bottom, my, I always get Merino base layers, Merino underwear. I don't think I've worn cotton underwear in 15 years. A huge fan of Merino. Um, I don't wear it on the top. Like I said, I wear the core lightweight hoodie, but on, the, on my, my legs, I do usually have a, a lightweight set of Merino uh, leggings. And then, and even in the, even in Nevada, you know, it gets cold in August uh, and at night down there. And it, uh, they usually aren't on very long, but, um, and then, you know, basically, I, I run through their whole game on a pants. Uh, the ascent pant is usually the the, the, the super hot weather pant. Um, the ape, uh, apex is pretty good too for that. Um, With built-in knee pads. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I I go back and forth with the knee, with the knee pads. Um, kind of depends on the train, but uh, yep. but then uh, the mountain pant. You know, I'll graduate into that, and then uh, by later season, I'm using the Timberlines. So it's you know, they think, you know, but basically it's still always just one same Merino layer underneath. And then, uh, as it gets colder, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take the, uh, puffy pants, but that's usually, you know, unless it, unless it's super high elevation, uh, in August, September, I really don't use them much. Anymore. Sit still and do a ton of glassing. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, the one thing I wanted to say qualifying all of this is we're talking about mobile hunts where 90% of the time you are yes. on the move. Yeah. Um, there, there's, there's even on those hunts, you've got to be prepared for those, you know, when you're sitting there for two hours during the morning as the sun's coming up and you're doing nothing but glass and now all of a sudden you're a tree stand hunter and Mm -hmm. one thing that a lot of guys that are coming from the east out west for the first time especially in that august september time frame is they're not used to the temperature swings that you get Mm -hmm. high elevation especially especially when you drop into some of the lower elevation like uh uh more desert Kenyan uh, and uh, cedar type terrain, like in New Mexico or Arizona, where you think you're going to, yeah, in the middle of the day, you are, you are sweating. Scorching. It is scorching hot. And then at night it is freezing cold mm-hmm. or right there at dawn, huge temperature swings. And, and even hunting a lot of those Rocky mountain areas, if you, if you crest yeah. a, a north south Ridge and you go from an east Direct facing slope sunlight. to a west facing slope. You're talking mm-hmm. a 15, 20 degree temperature from yeah. being in the Aspens to all of a sudden I'm in dark timber. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a different set of, uh, of clothing and gear than you'd use in the Midwest. Um, yeah. And it changes, you know, it's constantly changing. And I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those guys that, uh, I, pro- I, I changed my layers out a lot. Like, I mean, it's nothing for me to have, you know, have them on to start the morning. They're off half mile down the trail 
and then they're back on, you know, it's, it's back and forth. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. someone almost watched me from a distance and didn't understand what I was doing. They'd probably think I was kind of crazy, so constantly taking off the clothes. Yeah. But again, it's all that temperature regulation. You don't want to be, yep. you don't want to be too hot and then you don't want to be so cold that you got to deal with any kind of hypothermia or any kind of conditions. Yep. So, yep. Yep. um, so what about, what are the, what are those necessities that no matter what, no matter where are always in your pack, whether that's again, I mean, going down into your kill kit and your sleep mm-hmm. system. Sleep system. I do very little bit. Uh, I, I love a, a nice lightweight down bag. I've got what I consider the best in the world, a, a Western mountaineering bag that I, I love. Um, but it has its weakness. Is it the Versalite Super? Uh, it's a 25 degree. I think that it might be the Versalite. Uh, but yeah, I, I love bag. it. I've had love, mine love for it. a very long time, and mm-hmm. I consider it the best that there is. Yep. And then, uh, you know, but, I, but I've had a couple of hunts where uh, I think it was uh, the last time I had a limited entry, uh, you know, like a premium, not premium. Was, I think it took five points to draw a tag in Colorado for elk. I, uh, was doing these like little three and four day backpack in trips. And it was just, it, it was just raining every, every morning and every afternoon. And, you know, I, I was constantly, you know, I was living on the camp on my back for those three or four days trying to chase the elk. And I, and I was constantly putting my sleeping bag away damp and I mm. pulled out damp. It just never, it was perpetually, it, I got to the point where I couldn't even dry it out. Um, I had to, you know, hike back out, switch bags, and like leave that thing and you know somewhere where I could sit in the in the truck in the sun for a couple of days to to really dry. I was freezing my butt off at night, and it, it, yeah. the condensation just built up in it. And uh, I called I called my buddy Aaron Snyder. You guys know Aaron, and uh, mm-hmm. I we, I was like, dude, I, I I'm ready to try one of your bags. Uh, so I I tried one of the Kefaro slick bags, and it's you know it was a little bit heavier, and I'm a, I'm a ounce counter. I, I admit it. Um, but I always have one of them with me now uh, in the truck because there's just situations where if I know it's going to be wet, I leave it down in the truck. Go with the synthetic. Uh, yep. 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 I go with the, the 20 or the zero. As far as pads, uh, you know, if I'm really watching weight, I've got the, you know, uh, I mean, weight in my backpack. I've got one of those uh, three quarter length. Uh, I think it's actually a, they call it a ladies pad for thermarest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only weighs like seven ounces. Um, I've got the full, you know, full nut length, that really nice one too, but um, that thing is in the bag a lot. Uh, I don't really need a pad or any lower legs. Uh, so as far as sleep system, that, that's, you know, I don't take a pillow. I just roll up a puffy or something if I want it to right in my head. Um, I use a um, caribou, which is a big game bags. They do that camp mm. meat bag. Yep. So I take, I take my puffy and I put it in there and use that as my, as my nice. pillow. Yep. So it just keeps uh, everything nice and enclosed. Oh yeah. Yep. The, uh, but as far as, uh, Sleep system. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. I don't. Uh, I, I really don't vary too much from from those two bags anymore. And uh, um, you know, and and it, I try to. You know, it's, there's a lot of situations where, and I think, I'll, and I, I, I was guilty of it when I first started going out west, where it's like I'm going to hit this mountain. I'm going to do this. I'm going to backpack up here. Those same mountains that I used to backpack. Sometimes I day hunt them now, and I'm and I'm sometimes I'm living out of my truck for a few days because it the things that people, people are so 
pro hiking and like pro, like let's just hike in as far as we can now that pushing them down. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, there've been several times when I found, well, my Colorado bowl last year was, was an example of it. Um, He, he wasn't, well, let's just say a lot of people walk by him. And the last uh, time I had a Colorado high country tag, the buck I was chasing, people were walking right by them and they'd they load their backpacks and take off. He was living right above a trailhead. He just had to get to a goofy spot to see him. And yeah. uh, so I find myself half the time I'm, you know, I'd say it's 50, 50 nowadays, uh, whether, you know, I'm, if I'm throwing a backpack on and, and taking off with five days worth of food or you know, exploring, uh, or I'm, I'm actually coming out of a truck, so mm-hmm. and sleeping on a cot. <laughs> no, there's, <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with that when you can get away with it, and you're yeah. you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's become fashionable mm-hmm. in the last few years, or you know, over the last fifteen twenty years to uh, get in there as far as you can. And uh, you know, one of the things that I've found that really helps me is is choosing drainages that don't have any kind of trail going in, mm-hmm. no trail whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, what, j- just having to bushwhack up into those. Because um, if there's a horse trail or, uh, you know, an established hiking trail, man, you're going to have guys up in there. And uh, there's, there's, uh, I was, I was uh, hunting one of my favorite spots. Uh, it was either last year or the year before last. And we'll glass this spot from a long ways off, from a highway a long ways off. And, you know, talking like five miles and we're sitting there watching it through the spotting scope. And, and I always love one of the reasons I love this place was because one year I saw a boot track there and I was devastated. <laughs> I was just freaking devastated by that boot track because for all those years I hadn't seen anybody. And all of a sudden we saw it we, from down there in our glass and spot we see a guy come up over the ridge up above timberline and start walking right across our bowl and then on the other side another guy came and they walked right across the bowl and were stopped and had a little powwow in the middle of the bowl and went right down <laughs> into the drain and you know, god man you I know exactly what you're talking about. It's happening more and more. It's hard to find a place yep. that they're not hitting. And a lot of those animals are getting pushed down into that timber. And, you know, that September time frame, it's more like finding a needle in a haystack in there. But there's a lot of places that are getting overlooked down at the yep. bottom because of mm-hmm. so many people are going piling so far up there. Yep. I agree. And, and, and some of it isn't us too. It is, it's just recreational hikers. Yeah. Since COVID started, man, there's so many more people hiking trails. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. They ought to make them pay. Uh, uh, they ought to make them pay a $750 license tag, <laughs> you know, to come from out of state and do, and do their hiking, you know, then they can be contributing to the conservation the same way that hunters are. Um, Look at that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so Evan, you got any other questions for Tony right now, man? I, you know, I want to have Tony back on after this season's over. Cause he's about to have a big one. Yep. Um, and dude, I don't know why, but I have a feeling that your Ibex hunt, you're going to get your revenge. You're, you're, you're going to do it. Um, especially, I mean, who, who on earth gets to draw that thing within three years of, three each, years other? of each other, so, you know, have the experience there and a close call and then go back, you know, that's, that's, 
That's pretty cool, dude. I got a good feeling for you. Yeah, I feel pretty lucky. So awesome. give it everything I have. Uh, well, um, go ahead, Evan. I was say, um, last little thing when you're doing the logistics. Yeah. Maps and hardcover or like a tonneau cover on your truck. What do you prefer? Uh, How are you locking everything up and keeping it safe inside? Yeah, uh, definitely have a a shell, a hard topper. Um, And in years past, I've just pulled a little open uh, aluminum frame trailer just to, you know, keep my freezers on and keep the four wheeler on. This year, I'm actually going to go to a uh, enclosed trailer just because of the dust holes in the roads in Nevada. There's, there's this like talcum pits that, uh, I mean, you, you can't even like the, the four wheeler, everything is just completely white after going through it. And uh, it's just, just can really gets in everything and wrecks it. So we're going in closed trailer, but, uh, you know, when I go, I've got usually two small freezers, the, the four wheeler I've got, I don't know how many coolers, maybe five or six different big yetis, all kinds of totes. Um, there's no way I'd be able to keep everything secure. No, if I had a, a just a cargo trailer, I guess I wouldn't need a topper. But in years past, I had to have the, the lockable topper uh, to keep things in there. And and I and I've made friends along the way. Uh, I mean, when I kill something, that's it goes in the freezer and gets plugged into friends' garages or whatever. And and that's and then I on the way back home, I basically pick up all those freezers and uh, and that's how I keep the meat good. But they also like, you know, when I go to Colorado, I'll drop off my backup bow at a buddy's house. When I go, or, or, you know, if I, whatever it is, I, I keep all that stuff. The really valuable stuff uh, is not stored in the truck unless I have no other, you know, option. Right. No eat, other right. way Usually to I, do it. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question, Evan, because uh, uh, I've had a topper on my truck for as long as I can remember. And my wife hates them. My wife's like, oh, the truck looks so much better without them. I have to have one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually added a, f- a few years back. I added a deck system, mm-hmm. uh, the big drawers, yep. and uh, it's a it's a platform that kind of goes right over top of the wheel wells. And there's it, the really cool thing is almost any hunt that I'm driving to, like you said, you know the the more valuable stuff I'm trying to I'm trying to leave at a at a friend's or locked up somewhere. Um, the stuff in the back of that uh i've it's always full and i always had you you have to have the gear for your truck too to get you out of a bind whether it's shovels and things to get out and you know tow ropes and things like that you have to have that kind of stuff on on these hunts um and i used to run a toolbox that went across the back of the cab up there and every time i had to get into that toolbox you had to unload the stuff that's in the back of the truck and crawl up in there that deck system slick because all your stuff is in that toolbox is in those drawers that come out from underneath of it and then also you've got that nice platform where all of my totes just stack up on there nicely and i don't have to worry about the wheel wells the only bad thing about it is that that deck system makes the bed of the truck higher and trying to get a deer a big deer in there by yourself is is a challenge you know that can it's also why you have the conference player of the year defensive (laughs) yeah he ain't always there man he ain't always there you ought to make sure he is then i think that boy needs to be on more hunts with you when my when my sons are uh are around dad doesn't have to do much anymore but uh (laughs) 
Um, they're not always around, but that the the topper's a big deal. And I, yep. I've actually got a, a a new Ram truck that I got last year, and one of my absolute favorite uh features on that truck is that when I hit my key fob and lock the doors, the tailgate locks. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. you, that's a it, that's a huge deal because I don't know how many times I for, I would forget to lock that tailgate. You're locking the uh, you're locking all the windows and all, all the doors on your topper. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you would forget to lock that tailgate, and all they got to do is open the damn tailgate and crawl up in there. You know. <laughs> yep. But now I don't ever forget. All I got to do is hit the button. Anyway, that's uh, it. It's it really is a cool tip. I mean, toppers are expensive, but they're when you're parking at trailheads and stuff like that, you don't really have a choice. You got to keep that stuff secure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, well, man, thanks for joining us, Tony. Um, uh, I'm glad to hear about your season. Can't wait to hear how you do. We're going to have you back on here so that we can talk about it after the fact. Uh, maybe go into, we'll always listen to these things back later on afterwards. And we're like, Shh, we, we should have talked about this. We should have talked about that. And I'm sure me and Evan will come up with more questions for you, but we're going to yeah. let you get on the road to Montana. Hopefully the big bound truck has already come to your house and yeah. we'll be ready to roll. So open so well thanks for having me on guys. It's fun. Uh, appreciate it, Tony. No problem. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We'll uh catch you next time.